Well, it is good to be in God's house this morning, and we have a children's church this morning available, so if you've got kids, they can go. Miss Cindy is going to go, and her helpers. Give our children's workers a big hand. They are always so faithful. Amen. Got lots of good help back there and could not do it without their help. Amen. And the rest of you, you're stuck with me. I'll try to make it as painless as possible, all right? Um, well, I gave you a little bit of heads up into what we're going to be talking about this morning, and you can see it on the screen there. There is a reason for your pain. Now, I want everybody who really likes to go through painful things to raise your hand. <laughs> he loves it. He loves it. Nobody likes pain, do they? Nobody likes going through the painful stuff. Um, nobody likes uh, having to endure trials and temptations. But if you remember, there's a little verse the very, in the very beginning of the book of James that says, and I have always hated this verse. Not really, Lord. I'm, I'm just playing. But this verse has always caused me a problem. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you endure certain trials and temptations. And I don't like that. Lord, I don't want to count it all joy. Amen. And uh, I want you, Lord, to, I want you to make everything pleasant for me. I like comfort. How many of you like comfort? I got a lazy boy at home. I am in love with my lazy boy. Amen. <laughs> I like comfort. All right. And uh, I like being comfortable. Uh, I, can, I can do nothing real good. Uh, I have a problem with laziness. I'll just admit it. Amen. And uh, I can do nothing real good. I can sit and veg out all day. But I'm here to tell you. I have learned a lot in my life from going through the painful times. I know now that I'm a little bit older what that verse means. It means you're going to learn a lot more from the painful things than you do from the joyful things. I have learned a lot more lessons in my life from my failures than I have from my successes. Amen. Why? Because my failures are forever etched in my brain. Many times with failures comes what? Humiliation. Comes shame comes, I look a certain way, and I, I want to keep my, um, my persona. I want people to see me the way I want people to see me, and I lose that. And so we need to understand that uh, I don't like going through pain, but I remember the painful times, and they teach me so many lessons. I've learned so much from the painful times in my life and my failures because I look back on them and I say, you know what, I ain't never going to forget I ain't going to do that again. Amen. And so our failures are a teacher for you. They are a teacher for you and for me. We will look back on this one day, and I don't have a crystal ball. I can't tell you what the future holds, but I can tell you this. Nothing happens without God allowing it to happen. He's in control, and I don't know the reason. I don't know the purpose. Many things on life, I don't know. We'll have to ask God when we get there. He's the only one that's got the answer. But I do know this. You and I look at pain totally different than God looks at it. God looks at it as it's building your faith. It's, it's building your perseverance. It is building something inside of you, all right? And it is building your endurance to endure so that you can remain faithful and run a good race to the end. Amen? So we need to understand that God has a reason for it. God has a purpose for even the COVID-19. Everybody say, I don't like COVID-19. Say it. I don't like COVID-19, amen? But God has a reason and a purpose for it, amen? Every little thing in our lives, God has a reason 
and a purpose for it, all right? So I want us to understand that, all right? There is a reason for your praying. The most depressing phrase that I hear as a pastor is this. I just don't see the purpose. I just don't see the point. Why am I going to do this? Why do I need to do this? I am tired of trying to live a Christian life. You know why? Because it's too hard. I'm tired of this. And it doesn't seem to matter anyway. Maybe in your marriage you're saying, you know what? I am tired of trying so hard on my marriage. I am I'm tired of trying so hard and working so hard and it just doesn't seem to get any better. And so I think we're just going to take the easy route out and we're just going to bail. You know what? When you hit a bump in the road in your marriage, the easy thing is to just bail out. All right? That's exactly why a lot of people don't get married. They don't want to have that commitment. And so what happens when you don't have that piece of paper or that commitment or you're not legally bound together, that just makes it easier to, you make me unhappy, I'm gone. Amen. First time the roads get rough, I'm gone. Guess what? It won't take long. Anybody here married say that from experience? If you're going to bail every time the road gets rough, you, it, you will bail very quickly. Amen. Because the road's going to probably be rougher a lot more than you think it is. Amen. Uh, many people say, I, I don't want to fight for my marriage. It's too hard. I don't want to go to counseling. That's too much work. <laughs> is it worth anything to you? Well, I don't want to go to counseling. You know, I don't want other people knowing my problems. I'd rather just bail and throw my marriage away. Is that not the stupidest thing you've ever heard? may have come out of your own mouth, but when you hear somebody else say it, it sounds really, really stupid. All right? So we need to understand, the easy thing is just to give up, all right? But the Lord says all of these things are there for a purpose, all right? And so I don't want to try too hard on my marriage. I just want to bail. Maybe you are in financial problems. Maybe you are in your eyeballs, up to your eyeballs in debt, as they say. And you say, you know what? <clears throat> I'll never dig out of it. My credit's already ruined anyway. I'm just going to dig the hole even deeper. Just to keep a charging and a charging. You know what I found with them plastic cards? If you keep a swapping, they'll keep a charging. Amen? And you'll keep getting that bill every month. And that number at the bottom gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And if you choose to stick your head in the sand and ignore it, guess what? You can ignore it. Will it go away? No. No, it will not. And does that honor God? No. When we don't have our financial house in order, does that honor God? Does it honor God when we're living way beyond our means listen i'm here to tell you you can look around and you can see people and there's a lot of people maybe even people in this room you look real good on the outside you drive shiny nice cars maybe several you live in a nice big house you have all the latest toys and you look like you've got your financial house in order can i tell you many of those don't in fact they are the worst of the worst many times they are living a facade. They are living, and it's a house of cards, and guess what? Eventually, a house of cards comes falling down. Amen? So it honors God for us to say, you know what? I need to get my financial house in order. I don't need to be living on credit anymore. I need to, I need to turn this around, dig out of this hole, and I need to honor God with my finances. All right? Your spiritual life. Well, Brother Mark, I'd like to be closer to God, but that'd probably mean I'd have to spend a little more time with it. And then I had to work a little bit hard. I'd, I'd actually have to probably get up about at least 15, 20 minutes earlier so I could read the Bible, so I'd have time to pray. And uh, I, I just, to be honest with you, I just don't know that it's worth it. I just don't have time, you know. Do you, you know, 
we could all be living in the fullness and the abundance of God. Isn't that what Jesus said? Jesus himself said, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly. Have you ever been really close to the Lord? I'm going to tell you, once you have walked very, very close to the Lord, it's like eating the perfect steak every single day. And then one day, you look up, and you don't have steak anymore. You're eating beans. And all of a sudden, and maybe those are good beans. Maybe they're Juicy's beans. Amen. I love Juicy's beans. They're good beans. Ain't nothing wrong with the beans. But then beans don't carry nothing to that perfect filet mignon steak. When, if you remember, when you walked close to the Lord and you were close to the Lord, it was like eating that filet mignon steak cooked perfectly every single day. But you, you lost your fire. You quit working hard at it. You quit spending time with the Lord. And now I'm over here off to the side and the Lord seems a million miles away and I am eating beans. And you know what? Once you've tasted, here, and this is even from the Bible, taste and see that the Lord is good. Once you've tasted of the Lord, once you've tasted of that perfect steak, beans won't cut it anymore. But many of us in our Christian life, we are living in the beans. Amen? We're eating the beans, and I think we all know what beans do to you. That's another sermon, all right? That's a whole other subject, all right? But I'm telling you, it is worth it. The Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross so you and I could live in the filet mignon, the abundant life, the full life. But it ain't just going to happen. You don't sit in your lazy boy, kick back, and say, okay, God, here I am. Lay it on me. And he lays it in your life. No. It's like anything else in your life. You have to strive for it. So here's where the lesson comes in for today. To get closer to the Lord, to get your financial house in order, to get your marriage where it needs to be and so that it honors God, it's going to take work, and it's going to take sweat, and it's going to take effort. Amen? And so we must decide, this is what I'm going to do, all right? And even there's going to be some painful times. Now, I'm going to talk to you about something I don't have any idea. Anybody in here ever run a marathon? You can look at me, and you know the answer to that question, all right? I have not run a marathon. I run from the lazy boy to the refrigerator, amen? As close to a marathon as I get. But many people, they love running. They, they run marathons. Many people love being physically fit. Maybe it's not a marathon, but maybe you're just really into fitness. I know Jared, he's really into fitness. And, you know, they say when you start to work out, that, uh, that releases those endorphins, and it's almost like a drug. It's just you get addicted to it, all right? And so many people, though, they love the results. And so if you want to see the results, stand up, Jared. I'll just uh, use you as an example. <laughs> Come on, Jared. Stand up. Be proud, brother. If you want to look like that, you got to put in the time. If you want to look like this, just do what you're doing. Amen? <laughs> just keep doing what you're doing. But Jared... You know, it's, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to embarrass I know you can, I know you can handle it, amen. But here's what we need to understand. Uh, why, why do you do that? You, you start to lose weight. You start to get in shape, and you lack the results. So you welcome the pain. You welcome the pain because you like the result. You see where I'm going with this? It's no different in your spiritual life. Lord, I know it's going to be painful. I know it's going to take some effort. I know that it's going to mean I'm going to have to have some humility. Listen, if you want to get your marriage right, 
Husbands, you're going to have to swallow your pride and be a little humble. Wives, don't say amen too loud, amen. <laughs> Wives, if you, want a good, uh, if you want a good marriage, then you're going to have to humble yourself. You know what the greatest thing you can say in a marriage? And I don't even like saying it right here. I was wrong. Boy, that's hard to say, amen? But guess what? If you are going to have a good marriage, you've got to swallow your pride sometimes, and you've got to say, I was wrong. And second right to it is, I am sorry. You cannot run your house like a dictator. You cannot run your house with an iron fist. That house will fall. That kingdom will crumble. You will end up having a spouse that hates you, and you'll end up having kids that resent you. Now, does that mean you don't need to be a good parent? Yes, and you were, you were giving your kids to be a parent, not their best friend and buddy. Amen? But I'm here to tell you, the, the Lord reads your Bible. The Lord says, do not provoke your children to anger. In other words, do it in the right way. Even when you discipline them, explain to them, this is why, this is what you did wrong, and this is why there is discipline to go with it. If I don't discipline you, then it means I don't love you. The Lord said it in his word. He said, I discipline those I love. And if you are not disciplined, you don't belong to me. Amen? That's one of the greatest ways you know you're his child. Amen? All right. Here we go. I got to jump on this real quick. Amen? People say, I don't see the purpose. Uh, but here's the thing. We don't hate pain. Even pain that seems to have no purpose is there to teach us something or can be a test for God's glory. Could I submit to you that maybe, maybe, again, I don't know the future. I'm not God. I'm not one of those preachers that tells you I have all the answers because I don't. I don't even know what half the questions are. Amen. Uh, but I can tell you I do know the one who can answer all the questions. And I will tell you this, that could it be that COVID-19 will be our greatest moment? That the pain of COVID-19 that the pain of what we're going through right now could lead us into a greater purpose and lead us into greater glory, amen, to bring glory to God, all right? So I'm here to tell you, don't fight it. I know it's, I know it's real tempting because it's tempting for me, too, to get up every morning and say, can this world get any worse, I'm telling you. This stinks. The world's going to hell in a handbasket and everything's going to pot. And, uh, you know, I'm just, uh, and it's terrible and terrible. And it's doom, 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 doom. What if we turn that around and said, Lord, I just believe, I'm just foolish enough to believe that you're going to get some glory out of this. There is something good coming out of this. Can I say that there are people searching that spiritually were not searching before? So even that is a good thing. Amen. There are people who are finding the Lord and searching for the Lord. Listen, what does desperation do to you? There is one good thing that desperation does to you. It drives you to your knees and it drives you towards God. Amen. So listen, turn it around and say, I believe God's going to do something powerful through this. And I believe that we may see a great awakening and a great revival on the other side of this. Amen. All right. Uh, even the pain that seems to have no purpose, all right? Here is the truth. People choose to endure a lot of pain if there's a purpose. And again, it's, uh, we go back to working out. If you like, you start working out and you start to drop weight and you like the way you look and uh, you, you do that, then if you want to continue that and if you want to reach your goal, then you put up with the pain, you endure the pain. 
If you are a marathon runner, you endure the pain and the training. Running 26 miles, I can't even imagine. Amen? I don't even like driving 26 miles. I sure don't want to run 26 miles. But listen, people do it, and they pay money to do it. They pay money to do it because they want the satisfaction to say, I did something not everybody can do. Amen? And so there is great satisfaction in that. Uh, let me run it another way. Maybe you are addicted to drugs and alcohol. Maybe that was you one day. You were lost in your sin, and you were lost in this addiction of uh, drugs and alcohol. But you decided one day, Lord, I don't want to live like this. And you went to a recovery program, and you endured the pain, and you endured the humiliation, and you endured the detox, and you endured putting up with your body, trying to cleanse that from your body. And you endured it, and you endured it so that you could say one day, I am free from my addiction. It no longer has a hold on me. Amen? Amen? You endure the pain of all that to see the joy of sobriety. Amen? What about childbirth? Any of you ladies had kids? I know some of you have. Amen? I see them running around here. I've heard, I don't know this from experience, I've watched my wife do it. Childbirth is pretty painful. It's a little bit painful. <laughs> I've heard. I was, I was standing over there in the corner when my wife had them. Sounded, sounded kind of painful. But do you have one and endure the pain and then say, you know, I don't ever want to do that again. Now, maybe some people do, but I'm here to tell you what, it, what ends up happening is when you have the joy of that child, you say, I will endure the pain because the result is a blessing. Amen? And somehow the, the memory of that pain tends to fade. Amen? Because of the joy of what the result is. All right? Amen. All right. There is a purpose in your pain. Let's look at the scripture. We're going to be looking in today in Luke chapter 22, verses 31-32. And the main character of our story is Peter. Anybody remember the uh, disciple Peter? Peter was a... Uh, Take action first, think about it later kind of guy. Amen? Anybody else here like that? Uh, man, that made me mad. I'm just going to do something. I'll think about it later. I'll apologize later. Amen? But I'm going to do something right now. All right? That was Peter. He was kind of impulsive. All right? And the Lord loved Peter, but the Lord was always kind of having to just calm Peter down and put him in his place. All right? So the main character of the story is in Luke chapter 2, uh, verses 31 and 32. It says this. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon. That was another name for Peter. The Lord said, Simon, Simon. Indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. All right? So here's what's happening. Peter just messed up time and time and time again. The first time, Jesus is trying to explain to the disciples, I'm going to have to die. They're going to put me on a cross. They're going to kill me. And then I'm going to rise up out of a grave three days later. You know what? Peter had the audacity to say, uh-uh, no way. I, I, I'm not going to let that happen. They ain't coming and getting you on my watch. And Jesus has to turn around to him and say, you are a stumbling block. Get thee behind me, Satan. It's pretty strong language, isn't it? He calls Peter Satan. He says, this is what needs to be done, and you are becoming a stumbling block, all right? So there's Peter's first mess up, all right? Um, if you remember, 
later on, they come to the garden to arrest Jesus. And Peter, mistake number two, what's he do? Shink! And the Bible says, and this shows again, Peter probably thought more of himself than he really was. He swings at the guard's head, completely misses the head, but manages to catch the ear. Kind of sounds like my shooting, amen? I shot Jared over here, but I was aiming over here at Gail, amen? But he ends up cutting the guy's ear off. What does Jesus have to do? Jesus says, Peter, 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 calm down. This has to happen. And Jesus says, find the ear. The ear probably rolled off under a bush over there. They had to find the ear, and Jesus miraculously superglues the ear back on. Then you remember the last instance that Peter messed up was Jesus has already gone to trial. They're flogging him. They're preparing him, getting ready on the cross. And Peter has now started to hide. And there's some women at a fire. And you remember they say, hey, he's one of them. I remember him. And he says, no, you're crazy. That was not me. I don't know the man. Second time, they said, no, no, I'm pretty sure of it. You were, you were hanging around him. No, no, I'm telling you, I don't know the man. And then the third time, to make his point even clearer and to try and get them off his back, he curses. And he says, I don't know the man. Bleepity, bleepity, bleep. All right? And the third time, the Bible says the third time, that he was looking, he looked across, and the third time he denied, it says Jesus. He caught eyes with Jesus. And can you imagine your Savior, who is enduring the cross for you, looks straight at you, and he told you, you're going to deny me three times. And he's looking right in the eyeballs of Peter. And Peter at that point probably says, that's it, I blew it. I'm a total failure. Uh, and it says that, Peter went off and he wept bitterly. Okay? All right. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt like I've just let the Lord down? I have. Have you ever felt like that and just said, Lord, I've just, I just messed up too bad? Lord, you can't possibly use me anymore. Lord, I'm, I'm useless to you. There's too much in my life. There's too much pain in my life. You ever been there? I've been there. But his mercy goes deep. And his love goes deep. And his grace goes deep. Because Peter, I think, probably felt like just walking away and never coming back. Let's go on. Luke 22, verse 61 and 62. Uh oh. Oh, I'm sorry. I forgot verse 32. Let me read that one to you. It says, Jesus told him, Satan has asked for permission to test you. And he says, But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. So even as Jesus is saying, Satan has asked for permission to test you, Peter. And Jesus even knows right here, he says, I know you're going to fail. I know even before this happens, you're going to fail. But when you return to me, not if you return to me, when you return to me, strengthen your brethren. So Jesus is already setting him up. There's a test coming. Satan has asked for permission to test you, and I'm going to allow it. I'm going to allow you to go through the pain. 
Anybody here remember the story of Job? His friends told Job, curse God and die. Why would you even want to serve a God like that? And Job refused to curse God, even though he did not know the reason why, never knew the reason why, but it was a test. It was a test. Satan asked for permission. He said, your man Job that's so faithful to you, he'll deny you. You remove your hand from him, he will deny you. And God says, no, Satan. And he says, I will allow it. You, you can do everything, but you can't kill him. And so God allows it. Listen, your test and your pain is not from God, but it can be allowed by God to strengthen you and make you stronger on the other side. Job had to do it. Peter had to do it. All right. Now let's go to verses 61 and 62 down the line. And this is the point where he's looking right in the eyes of Jesus. It says, And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And then Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Verse 62. So Peter went out and he wept bitterly. All right. And then after that, Jesus was mocked and beaten. Where was God in all of Peter's failures? He was there. Where was God? Here's, here's a big question by a lot of agnostics and atheists. You believe there's a God? Well, where was God when Jesus was down on that cross? He was there because it had a purpose. He knew it had to happen. Can I explain the reason that Jesus, it had to go down the way it went down? No, I cannot. Many people want to say, what about terrible things in this world? The, the World Trade Center 3,000 people die on one day because of terrorists. Where was God? I believe God was there, and he was weeping. He was weeping. Where was God during the Holocaust? I believe God was there, and he was weeping. We live in a sinful, fallen world. But this world, the physical world, Satan is in power, and he has a lot of power. But even at that point, he has to ask permission from God. Now, I can't explain everything. I don't have all the answers. But I believe God is at every one of those painful things. And he is weeping. And he is weeping for us. And he's weeping for our nation. He's weeping for our world. But he says, this world is not about you. See, everything with us is about this, the physical. But with Jesus, he doesn't live in the physical. He lives in a spiritual realm. And he says, your life's not even begun. Your life begins the day your heart stops beating. And eternal life in all of heaven and its glory doesn't start the day you stop breathing. It starts the day you got saved. And if you're not living in that glory and living in that, you need to turn it around. Amen? He says, I've come that you might have life. And I've come that you might have the kingdom of God. Not when you die, right now, starting today. Is your life bringing him glory? If not, turn it around. Amen? There was a purpose. Sometimes God's preparation comes packaged in pain. Did you hear that? Sometimes God's preparation comes packaged in pain. Do I like to hear that? No. Do you like to hear that? No. But guess what? That's many times the way it is. Don't just look at life from a perspective of pain. See your pain from a perspective of purpose. Let's look at this very familiar verse. Romans 8.28. I don't know how many times you've read this verse, Romans 8, 28, but I want you to look at it with new eyes. And I want you to look at the very last word. 
and we know that all things work together for good. Does it say all things are good? No. All things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his, according to his, everything has a purpose. All things are not good. Everything that happens to you, I think we could all agree, is not good. But all things work together for good because God has a purpose for your life and God has a purpose for my life. And if you're not fulfilling that purpose, again, turn it around and start today. No better day to turn it around and start a fresh uh, turnover than right now. All right? All right. Then let's go to James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. James 1, 2 through 4. It says this. This was the verse I quoted earlier. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Amen. And another word for patience in another, um, uh, another one of the um, Bible, what is it again? Translations is perseverance. Sorry, I go brain dead sometimes. Perseverance. Strength to finish the race. Now, everybody in here, some of you are real close to the finish line. Amen? Now, listen, you can look at that one of two ways. You can look at it as, man, that's a downer. Or you can look at it as, I am so close to the end of my race, and then life really starts. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And then eternal life begins for those who know the Lord. Amen. Amen. But guess what? You know, Brother Mike used to tell me all the time, he said, you know, I've been around many, many people, and they get diagnosed with something, and they're literally on death's bed. And he said, I'll be at their deathbed praying for them, and I'll have a group of men around me, and we'll all be praying for this man who's supposed to die just any moment now. And he said, invariably, that man in the bed will get better and five or six of the other guys that were standing around and praying for him will die before he dies. You don't know when it is. Doesn't matter. Just be ready. Be ready for today. Be ready for tomorrow. Your race is almost over. But guess what? My race could be over tomorrow. All it takes is somebody losing attention in a big old heavy car out on a highway. You never know. You must be ready every single day. There's no time like today. Don't say, I'll get, with, I'll get with the Lord later on. I'll, I'll get close to the Lord later on. Don't wait till tomorrow. It is today. Today is the day of salvation. Amen. All right. Sometimes God's uh, preparation comes packaged in pain. We already said that. Jesus knew Peter would fail. Jesus knew that Peter would doubt. Jesus knew that Peter would cower. He knew that he would deny him. And he also knew that Peter would turn back and come back to the Lord stronger than ever. Peter's pain was preparation to preach at Pentecost. Now, if you go back and you finish the story with Peter, he denies Jesus three times. He goes out and weeps bitterly. He probably thinks everything is over. The Lord can never use me again. And then what happens is, uh, after the Lord is resurrected, he comes and appears to his disciples again. And he says, Peter, do you love me more than these? Well, 
Lord, I know I denied you, but yes, Lord, I love you. Please know that I love you. Peter, do you love me more than these? Lord, I know I messed up. Lord, I know that I'm a failure. I know that I'm not worthy of anything. And Lord, but yes, you got to know that I love you. Peter, do you love me more than these? Oh, Lord, I have failed you so. I've let you down. But yes, Lord, you know, you know that I love you. Three times. Is that a coincidence? No. It's three times to solidify the three times that he was denied. Three times he is confirmed. Confirmed. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, Peter, you're my rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church. Peter turns around, and on the day of Pentecost, who steps up to preach? Peter, the messed up guy. The guy didn't have a chance that God could never use again. The guy was disqualified from ministry because he'd screwed up too much. And he preaches that day, and 3,000 come to know the Lord. The first mass revival. And 3,000 come to the Lord. And it says the Spirit of God came down and the Spirit of God filled the place. Listen. I'm messed up. You're messed up. We're all a mess. But the Lord loves you. He loves me. And the pain that we're going through, we need to turn it around for God's glory. God's got something good for you. God's got a purpose for your life and my life. And I'm here to tell you, turn it around for him. All right, I don't care what you've done in your life. I don't care how you've messed up. None of us deserve the grace and the mercy of God. But God wants to give it to you. Everybody look at me. Look at me. God loves you. He has a purpose for you. And you may be looking back at me saying, God don't love me. I challenge you. I challenge you. Test God. He loves you. He loves you. And he can use you. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me? I want to ask you a question. Do you think sometimes, do you ask God and say, God, you don't know my pain. How could you be familiar with my pain? Jesus comes and he willingly chooses to die a horrible, terrible death. Do you know how Jesus endured cross Jesus endured the cross because he had a purpose in that cross you know what that purpose was you and me and all of us he endured the cross he endured the pain because of you and because of me and he knew that was the only way so father I just pray that, God, you'd have your will and your way in this place today, Lord. Pray that, God, you would just uh, do a work in this place. And, Lord, I just pray that, God, you'd speak to hearts and to lives, Lord. You would just, you would say, Brother Mark, I just, I need to get my... I need to get my life right with the Lord. Would you just pray this prayer with me today? If you were to say, Mark, I'm, I'm not where I need to be spiritually. The Lord is always there with his arms wide open. And I just invite you to pray this prayer with me. Just say, dear Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner. And I need you. And right now, the best way I know how, Lord, I ask you 
to forgive me of my sins. I believe you died on that cross for my sins. And I just ask you, Lord, please save me from my sin. I give you my life. I make you the Lord and Savior of my life. Every head bowed. If you prayed that prayer today, I don't want to embarrass you, but would you just lift up a hand if you prayed that prayer today for the first time or the second time? I want to ask you if you're bold enough to just come down here and make that public and say, I asked the Lord into my heart or I recommitted myself to the Lord. I want to give you that opportunity. Anybody want to come down? Maybe you're here today and you say, Brother Mark, I, I've been coming to church here and I, I really need to join the church. I need to actively join and take a part. Anybody would like to join the church today if you want to come now at this time? We're going to ask the Lord to really speak to us. If you would say, Brother Mark, I need to have more boldness. I need to, uh, I need to embrace the pain. And I need, to, I need to work on some things in my life. Would you just lift up hands and pray for you? Thank you. Hands all over. Father, do a work in us. We thank you, Lord. We thank you that there is a purpose and a reason for the pain. Lord, even in the midst of this pandemic, God, we give it over to you. And we say, God, would you use it for your glory? Because we know that what the enemy means for evil, that God, you will turn it around for good. We praise you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. amen. God bless you guys.